for the past three years. It's something that I've struggled with throughout my time here at the Masters. And by talking to many of you, my friends, I know that you've struggled with the same thing. You know, I love this school. This is a, this is a prime institution. There's not many like this around where we get to study the Word, where we are surrounded with faculty that love the Lord, that hold the Word in high regard. And we get indoctrinated with the Word. Chapel three times a week, our classes, church, wing Bible studies. We're surrounded by teaching. And the thing that concerns me, the thing that I've struggled with, is keeping my faith spiritual and not letting it become an academic pursuit only. That's the thing that has plagued me for the last three years, is how do I keep my faith pure? How do I keep my relationship with God alive and not just let it degenerate to an academic pursuit? You see, oftentimes in our classes, we have to study for exams. We have to memorize when the kingdom fell and when Jesus went to Cana and whatever the case may be. And at the same time, we're memorizing when Shakespeare wrote his plays, or whatever the case may be. And so sometimes they get intertwined. And we reduce the Word of God to just another textbook. And we study it as we do any other topic. And we study and we get an A in a class, and it hasn't changed our lives. And that's what concerns me. Because the Word of God is different. It's not just a textbook. Our Bible classes are not just academic pursuits. It's learning about our God. And that's something that I've struggled with. And how do I do that? How do I make sure that what I do is for the right reason? How do I make sure that the discussions I'm in when I'm discussing theology, that it's because I want to know God and it's not with the same tone that I discuss the latest baseball game? Turn with me, if you will, to James chapter 1. If I can get my Bible open. There we go. James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Let's open in prayer. Father, we come before you now, seeking your word. We pray that our hearts are pure, that you will open your word to us, that your Holy Spirit will minister, that your word will be clear. Thank you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Notice in verse 19, for the, for the first 18 verses, James has been discussing a lot of doctrine. He'd been discussing the fact that God doesn't tempt us, the fact that no matter what comes along, God is in control. The fact in verse 17 and 18 that we have been chosen from the foundations of the world, that He chose us. So He's been covering a lot of doctrine. Then He kind of stops. And he says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak. Those are some pretty po powerful words. Stop and think about that. Quick to hear. How often are we quick to hear? Especially here at the campus. I know oftentimes, I'm a senior, I've sat through a lot of Bible classes, you start to hear kind of the same things over and over. I'm not very quick to hear. 
when I hear something that I've already heard before, I kind of shut it off and I'll start thinking about something else. If somebody gets up and starts preaching on something that I think I already have down, my mind's elsewhere. I'm not very quick to hear. But the Word here says that we need to be quick to hear. And this is what I would say is the first principle that we need to apply if we want to keep our faith from becoming an academic pursuit is that we need to prepare our hearts. Every time we come to the Word, we need to be quick to hear. Every time. Every time someone's up in chapel and opens the Word. Every time you're in a class. Every time you're in a Bible study. Every time in church. No matter how many times you think you've heard it before, you need to be quick to hear. We have no right to think that we know it all or to think that somehow it's not important this time for us to hear it. We need to be quick to hear. And we need to be slow to speak. This is even a tougher one for me. Somebody comes with a problem, I want to give them a quick answer. In class, before the professor is done asking the question, I think I know the answer. It's pretty fast to speak. We're commanded to be slow to speak. Proverbs 29.11 says, Fool uttereth all his mind. And really that's the truth. You need to be slow to speak, not always shout out answers, not always come back with a comeback when we're, ta- when we're discussing the Word, but be slow to speak and quick to hear. And it says, be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Again, this is another tough one. Getting angry in a discussion. I like to discuss theology a lot. Anybody that's spending any time with me knows that. And it's easy to get angry in a discussion. And that anger is not a godly anger, even though I might think it is. It's an anger because someone else can discuss something better than I can. Or it's an anger because someone has inconvenienced me by being out of dress code and I have to go talk to them. That's not the anger that we're to have. Notice it doesn't say never get angry. It says be slow to anger. In Ephesians 4.26 says be angry and yet do not sin. So there is a godly anger. An anger when God's name has been blasphemed. When God's name is being trampled upon. But I know in my life, most of the times it's man's anger that I get. And we need to be slow to anger and check our motives. Verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. This would be what I would say is the second principle. To keep your life, to keep your spiritual walk from becoming merely an academic pursuit. That is, you need to purify yourself. He says, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. He doesn't say, if there happens to be any sin in your life, get rid of it. Or, maybe if there's sin. We all have sin in our life. If we pass the microphone around, every one of you, I'm sure, could rattle off the sin in your life right now. We're commanded. If we're going to be pure, then we need to put the sin out of our life. Notice how he views it. Notice how God views it. Filthiness. Do you view the sin in your life that way? Or is it just kind of one of those things that really isn't that important? We need to view sin as God views it, as filthiness. Oftentimes, as I study for classes, we can study about sin, we can know that we shouldn't be angry, we can know whatever the case may be, but I don't view it as filthiness. And we're commanded to. The second part of that is we need to receive the Word in humility. It's pretty basic how to keep your faith from becoming an academic pursuit. One, you need to prepare your heart. You need to be quick to hear and slow to speak. Slow to anger. Two, you need to purify yourself. You need to get rid of the sin. Remove the sin from your life. And then be open to receiving the Word. I think all of us would, would acknowledge that and agree with that. But then James stops. In verse 22 to 27, he draws a picture of two types of men. The one that practices it and the one that doesn't. And that's where it really comes down. Because we can know all this 
and we can agree to it, but it comes down to are we living it? The first kind of person he paints for us is a non-doer. Verse 23, If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. That's just inconceivable if you think about that in the natural realm. How many times do we stand in front of the mirror getting ready in the morning and then just turn around and forget how your hair looks or forget if you put on lipstick for those of you that do that kind of thing or whatever the case may be. You don't forget. When you look at the mirror, you remember what you look like. This word for looks um, is an intense look. It's not just a passing by. It is, it is an intense gaze. So it, this man comes to the mirror. He looks at himself. He turns around and he's forgotten what he looked like. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. But how often do we do that? If we take this into the spiritual realm, we look at the mirror, God's Word, we sit in chapel, we sit in our classes, we look at what the Word says about our life, we look at how it tells us we should live, what our true appearance is before God, and we walk out and we forget what it said. I can't tell you how many times I've had my morning devotion, evening devotion, close the Bible, and I couldn't tell you what I just read. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's not being a doer. Every time we look at the Word, every time we come to chapel, we need to be remembering. We can't just walk out and forget what we heard. That's wrong. We're proving ourselves to be the wrong kind of person. We're proving ourselves to be a hearer and not a doer. Verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, I think that would pretty much include all of us. We've all signed a form saying we're Christians. We would claim to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. Ouch. Does not bridle his own tongue. That goes back to being slow to speak, quick to hear. How many times do we bridle our tongue? Not as often as it should be for me. We have to have our actions match up with what we're doing. If not, we're deceiving ourselves. You see, if you think that spirituality is coming to chapel... If you think by getting A's in your Bible classes, by graduating with a four-year Bible degree, by attending the Master's College or going to church, that that's the definition of spirituality, you're deceiving yourself. If your life's not matching up with what you're learning, it's nothing. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 33, Ezekiel 33, starting in verse 31. And this is the Lord speaking to Ezekiel about the nation Israel. And they come to you as a people come, and sit before you as my people, and hear your words, but they do not do them. For they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth, and their heart goes after their gain. And behold, you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not practice them. How many times do we fall into that category? Do we come? Do we pretend we're to be God's people? And then we don't practice what we've heard. In Jeremiah 12:2, it's described as their lips speak of me, but their hearts are far from me. How many times does that describe our attitude as we come to chapel, as we sit in our Bible classes? You know what God thinks of that kind of religion? And in verse 26, He says, this man's religion is worthless. You realize you can be wasting your time here? You can waste four years here. Totally be wasted. If you sit in chapel and you think that that's spirituality, if you sit in church, sit in your classes, and never apply what you're learning, 
You're wasting your time. You might as well leave and not be here because you're wasting your money, you're wasting your time. That Your religion is worthless. In Isaiah chapter 1, starting in verse 11, and God is speaking again to the nation Israel. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feast. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Does that give you a picture of what God feels when you're just going through the motions? When you just show up to chapel, when you just show up to class, and you're not living it? God hates what you're doing. God hates what I do when I do that. It's not exactly what I want to be known for. But many times I fall into that category. And many times it's easy as we study to let our faith be reduced to that. We, we dare not let it be reduced to that. James also gives us a picture of another type of man. This is a man that puts into practice what he hears. In verse 25, But he who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty. That word for looks intently is the same word used in um, Matthew, or excuse me, Luke, when Mary's looking down, stooping into the tomb to see if Jesus was there. It's a very intense gaze. The man who practices what he hears stares intensely at the law. Notice the words he used. Perfect law, the law of liberty. Those are very descriptive terms of the Word of God. It's a perfect law. It's all sufficient. There is no other place we need to go to learn anything about God, about our spiritual life. It's a law of liberty. Dr. Stead spoke about that on Wednesday. The fact that only true liberty can be found in the Word, not elsewhere. And he abides by it. Notice the contrast between the hearer who looks at the mirror and then walks away and forgets and the man who puts into practice. He's abiding by it. He loves the Word. This has got to become a lifestyle, not just five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night, and then you never remember it. We've got to be continually meditating on the Word. And this man shall be blessed in what he does. The word for blessed means happy. You'll be happy in what you do. Notice it doesn't say by what you do. You're not made happy by putting into practice these things. Putting into practice what you learn in class, learning to love your brothers, learning to be selfless, learning to put others above yourself, that in and of itself would not make you happy necessarily because that hurts, that sacrifice. But the fact is you'll be happy in what you do because you're doing what God would have you to do. And I suggest that if you're not peace. If there's no peace in your life, if you're not happy, this may be the reason. It may be because you're not putting into practice all that you've been taught, all that you're hearing. Verse 27. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father. I think that's what we're all aiming for. None of us wants just an external religion. We want what is pure, what is holy in God's sight. He describes it in two ways. To visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. That's kind of confusing. Why would he talk about visiting orphans and widows? Is that all we were called to do? Well, no. We can look through 1 John and it talks about loving our brothers. We can find many references in the New Testament of what we're called to do. And you know them. 
But this is just an example of what pure religion is. Serving orphans and widows. You know, if you're loving orphans and widows, you don't get anything in return. A widow can't give you power, can't give you fame, can't give you money, can't give you prestige. That's an example of a life that's putting into practice what you're hearing. And to keep oneself unstained by the world. That doesn't mean we haul up on a mountain somewhere, set up a convent and never get in touch with the world. According to Psalm 119, how do you keep your way pure? You keep it pure by keeping it according to thy word. That's what it all comes back to. I know we study the word every day here at the college. And it's been a constant struggle for me to figure out how do you keep that from becoming just academic. I think this is the key right here in this passage. That we need to prepare our hearts. I need to prepare my heart every time I come to a class, every time I come to the Word, that I need to be quick to hear. No matter how many times I think I've heard it before, no matter how many times I think I know it, I need to be quick to hear. I need to be slow to speak. You know, when we, when we have reading assignments in our survey classes, and a lot of freshmen have already had that, don't let it be reduced to just reading. Don't treat it just like you do any other book. Remember, it's the Word of God. God's Word. Don't ever forget that. Because when you do, it just becomes academic. It just becomes academic. And that's wrong. That's sin. It's a tough thing. It's a tough thing. And the only way we can do it is by putting into practice the principles of the Word and living it out. Okay. It's early, but I'm done. So we'll stand for a word of prayer. If I can just challenge you, put it into practice. When you're in class this afternoon, be quick to hear. Put it into practice. At the end of the day, think about what you've been studying. Think about what you've heard. And make sure that you're living it. Make sure you're doing what God has called you to do. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for all that you've done for us. Father, we ask that you would give us the grace to live what you've called us to. And all that we do, may you be glorified. In your name, amen.